Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Well, there you are, and we are sitting in one of my favorite restaurants, Oscars in Dadeville, Alabama, and I have just had a wonderful meal with one of my best friends, Jeff Gore. Jeff, welcome to the table. Thank you for having me. It's been a great meal, and we're looking forward to a good visit. You're out. You live in Texas, the little com community. Oh, that's, that's too much of a stretch. The Where you live is spot on the map. It's Silver Lake, right? Silver Valley. Silver and Valley. All there is there is a green sign. Green, a green sign. <laughs> it so, says Silver Valley. That sounds was, like right out of Roy Rogers. You know, it is interesting because... At one time, it was a nice little town. There were hotels and a bank and a school and everything. In fact, there was some a really big uh, shipping yard for cattle. They brought cattle there and put them on the railroad and shipped them to the Fort Worth stockyards from there. None of that is there anymore. There's actually almost no, no remnants of even any of that there, but historically, all of that was there at one time. So, wow. But it's a wide space in the road now. Brought you all the way from Silver Valley, Texas, and we're in Alabama. You, you've come for a couple of days to be with me for a broken worship gathering and event I lead. You and I have been on the road a, a long time uh, ago. We were together a good bit uh, doing revivals, yep. renewal events, and uh, I would speak and you would you would bring the, the music. and. Uh, I'm just grateful to have you here. I've been looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to getting to Alabama to be with you since you moved all the way out here from Texas. And, but, uh, I mean, we've known each other since way back to seminary days, 35 years 1985, ago. 1985, like 1986, yeah. right in there. A long yeah. time ago. So yeah. we've known each other a long time and worked together for years and seen our kids grow up about the same, along the same way over the years. And it's just good to get to be here with you. Yeah. Likewise, I mean, one of our claims to fame, ha, <laughs> one of my claims to fame is Tommy Lee Jones. He directed two movies. He's directed more since then, but at one point he directed two movies. You had been in one of them, and I had been in the other yeah, one. That's right. But you up, you had the speaking part. Yeah. So you I was were, in Good Old Boys, and you were in Three Burials, right? Three Burials of Melchiatus Estrada. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, you have since gone on to some other things, and so it's, it's good to see you here. I uh, just want to dive right into your story because uh, when did Jeff Gore decide to become a cowboy? 
because that's that's you were in cowboy ministry, been doing it since 1992. Is 92. That right? Wow, yeah. 29 years. Really, really earlier than that, but that's when we kind of left and jumped off doing full time traveling ministry to cowboys and ranching communities and stuff. Was 92. Maybe it's not when. How did you become? How did Jeff Gore become a cowboy? When I was a little bitty kid, um, even before I remember, because I always remember wanting to be a cowboy all my life. My mother says as far back as she can remember, uh, I was I always wanted to be a cowboy. I've got I've got a picture I've posted on Facebook a few times of me when I was actually three, um, because it was in January, February during the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. I don't know why my parents weren't cowboy people, but they decided that we were going to go to the Fort Worth Stock Show. And they, they uh, so I had my little hat on and my boots and everything all dolled up my cowboy clothes. And and uh, there's a picture of me wearing my old beat up hat and everything when I was three years old. And I remember taking those pictures. I remember them standing us up against the wall and taking pictures in our little cowboy outfits. So we looked like newly on Gunsmoke or something, you know. And uh, then we I remember going to the Fort Worth Stock Show. I remember all of that. And I didn't turn four till March after that. So I was three, and I—that's I, probably one of my earliest actual memories. I don't remember it from people talking about it and seeing the pictures. I remember them taking those photographs. I remember all of that. So far back as I can remember, I wanted to be a cowboy. And you know, a lot of boys in Texas—they want to be Roy Rogers or John Wayne or whatever when they grow up, and they—they they play guns and, and cowboys and Indians and stuff like that. But um, you know, a lot of them grow out of it. My brother wanted to be Roy Rogers and Matt Dillon both when he was a little kid, and he's not cowboy at all. You know, he outgrew it, but I never did. I never outgrew it. And when I was about eight years old, uh, we moved to a new town. My dad was a pastor. My mother was a school teacher, and we moved to Sherman, Texas. And the guy that was the chairman of the pulpit committee that called my dad to Trinity Baptist Church in Sherman, uh, he was a banker and a rancher and cowboy. Uh, his name was Clyde Hale, and he was in Sherman, Texas, and uh, he kind of took me under his wing, and I was about the same age as his son, and um, we became best friends, grew up best friends, he and being his son Tim, and uh, we cowboyed off and on all our lives growing up since I was about 10 years old. I, I started working for him some, just here and there, and going to the sale barn on Saturdays that he owned, he was part owner in an auction barn where he sold cattle, and then by the time I was in, in high school, I, I worked for him every afternoon and on the weekends and all summer. That was my job. And I worked for him my junior and senior year full, pretty much full time other than school. And uh, I just have always been kind of bent that way. And when I, when I started singing on my own and I wasn't singing with my family or in a group, I was bent towards the singer-songwriter guy sitting on a stage on a stool writing songs and singing songs. And I wrote songs about cowboy stuff. So, well, you know, you—it's not how you became a cowboy. You are a cowboy. I mean, that's what you've been doing. That's who you are. Because now, for the last twenty-nine years, you've been in cowboy ministry. Mm -hmm. So, how did that come about? And again, you are a cowboy. It's yeah. not like you're. There's a there's a saying about a guy who wants to be a cowboy. He's all hat and no all cattle. Hat and no cattle. My yeah. grandfather used to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But you are a cowboy because yeah. you, you you have a ministry to cowboys and you're well respected in that yeah. community. Tell us a little bit about how I, that uh, came to be. I always tried to, um, out of respect for 
the life out of respect for cowboys to always try to learn from the men that knew more than me. I was always drawn to old men. My mother says I've always been an old man. <laughs> but I was always... George Bailey. Yeah, yeah, he was born yeah, old. He was born old, George. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I kind of was that way. And, and so I always wanted to do things the right way. I, I didn't want to just be a cowboy. I wanted, I wanted to know what it really took to be a cowboy. So I always tried to learn. I always tried to... I've always been a real curious person anyway. So I was always trying to do things authentically and do as, as best I could and do it real and not be all hat and no cattle. And so um, I was always around all those guys, spent all my life growing up for the most part that I wasn't in church or in school um, around a bunch of old cowboys. And some of them were pretty crusty. Some of them were pretty rough. And when God called me to the ministry at 12, I couldn't even really have articulated it like this. But I, in my mind... This is the way I perceived it, that God was calling me to the ministry, but I knew it looked nothing like my dad as pastor of that church. I knew it was it was going to be different. I knew that wasn't what God was calling me to. And I, for the longest time, I struggled with that and I wrestled with that because I really thought, yeah, right, you're supposed to be the pastor of a church. You just want to be cowboy so bad, you're just in rebellion of God's calling. But I see that over time... God puts us in the right place at the right time, and He molds us the way He wants us to be if we'll trust Him. And I was too naive to do anything but trust Him. I just threw my hands up and said, God, you know I want to be a cowboy, but if you want me to be in the ministry, I will. Kind of, you know, okay, you know, twist my arm, I will. It was kind of my attitude, but I still did it. I still win, you know. Um, there's a parable in the in the Bible where the man comes in and tells his son, he says, I want you to go to the field and work today. And he goes, No. Well, if I'd have told my dad that, I might have got my head slapped off. But um, he said no. And then his dad, dis disheartened and, and put off, I'm sure, he goes to the other boy, his other son, says, I want you to go to the field and work today. And he says, okay, Dad, I'm, I'm going right now. But he never went. Mm -hmm. Well, in a little while, the one that said no started feeling kind of bad. And he said, I need to go work. So he went and worked in the field. And Jesus said, which one of those did the right thing? Yeah. And so that's the way I kind of was. I said, no, but then I went ahead and went, you know. I knew you can't tell God, no, you got to do what He says. you got to do what He calls you to do. And I was called to the ministry. Well, for me, ministry back then, you're a pastor of a church. You're a music director of a church. You're a youth minister till you grow up and they let you be a pastor. That sounds really awful, but that's the fact. That's yeah. the truth of the deal back then. You were a youth minister because you were a pastor in waiting. Yeah. And if you stayed a youth minister your whole life because that's what God called you to do, you were a failure. I mean, seriously, that's the way people looked at it. Yeah. And that may be a cynical sounding well, way to look. I but, live that life. But listen, know. I knew that I, you couldn't be a youth minister all your life. Yeah. When I met a guy that was a friend of mine that was up in his 50s, had been a youth minister since he was in college, I was blown away because I thought, this dude is awesome, man, because he felt called to be a youth minister, and here he's 50-something years old, married with grown children who are having children, and he's still a youth minister, and one of the best ones there is, you know? But if you weren't going to be one of those things, then you were going to be a missionary in Africa or something, all right? I knew that none of those, I just knew that none of those was what God was calling me to do. 
but I went ahead and I, I went to seminary. I went to college. I went to seminary. I did all those things. I became the, the youth and education guy at a church. You know, that pastor-in-waiting guy on staff at a church. And for 12 years, I did that, working on ranches off on the side, doing what I could. But I was miserable. I hated every bit of being on staff at a church. Ironically, the only part I liked was going to see old people in the hospital or in their homes or in the nursing home. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Talking to these little old folks, you know, that didn't have anybody else cared about them. Well, there's not real a place for that, yeah. you know. There, there's a place, there's a, need, there's a need for that, but there's not really a place for that in most churches. You gotta go to a huge church, huge church in a big city to be the guy on staff that does that all the time. And I knew that wasn't it either. That wasn't what got, but I searched for all these things in ministry, and I just, none of it worked. Well, in the late 80s, some guys, and this is kind of a roundabout way of getting to this, but it's, it's, this is all part of God working and getting me where I am. There were some folklorists that discovered this virtual lost art of cowboy poetry. There was these cowboys over the eons that have written poetry about their life as cowboys. And some of it is beautiful. Some of it some of it's silly and funny. And and some of it may even be lewd. But there's other others that are like I mean they're like gone with the wind. I mean they're like these beautiful pieces of literature. And I was drawn to that. I really thought that was man, this is so neat. Who ever heard of such a thing? And because of that, these events started popping up called cowboy poetry gathering where they would have singers and poets that came and shared cowboy music and poetry well well that was right up my alley because yeah. when in the mid 70s when my brother and my best friend and the other guys i sang with in a group all graduate and go off to college i'm on my own i saw the handwriting on the wall and i didn't want to car a piano player around and be everywhere so I started at about 14 or 15 learning how to play the guitar. Mm -hmm. So I could accompany myself when I sang. I didn't care about being a good guitar player. I just had to have some accompaniment because I'd always been a singer. Mm -hmm. And ever since I was a little bitty kid, I always had a really good voice. People always talked about how good my voice was way over my age. You know, I mean, I was good for my age when I was little. So I knew that I was basically a singer, okay? I wasn't an instrumentalist. I wasn't a performer necessarily. I was a singer, but I had to have some accompaniment. So I figured I'd learn how to play the guitar. Anybody can play three or four chords on a guitar, strum it while you sing these songs, and if you got a good enough voice, nobody cares if you're a great guitar player. So that was my goal. I've been singing cowboy songs since I was a little kid, and I've been singing them and actually getting paid for it some mm -hmm. since I was in high school. So when these poetry gatherings started popping up, I went, hey, this is awesome. I can do this. Yeah. So I started going to these cowboy poetry gatherings and singing and, and playing cowboy songs. And after a while, they started, those things would expand. They'd be Friday night. Then they'd be Friday and Saturday. Then they'd be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let's have a big breakfast at the chuck yeah. wagon and have church. We'll have a church service out by the wagon. Yeah. And then they'd go, hey, Gore's a minister. Let's make him do the church service. <laughs> you know? And so I would start doing the church service. And then all of a sudden, it was like a light came on. And after a while, you start thinking, okay, maybe this is it. Yeah. Maybe this is what God's been preparing me for all this time. And after a while, you're on staff at a church and they love you to death, but they know they're seeing it before you are. Mm -hmm. God's got something different for you, man. This isn't, this isn't it. Yeah. We're glad to be here for you and we love you. 
but we can see where God's got you headed. Yeah. And so they kept giving me more and more and more time off to be at these things that I went to and ministered to the point that finally I was either going to have to quit doing that and just be a staff member at a church or I was going to have to be quit being a staff member at a church and just do that. Yeah. I had to step out in faith and just do it. And so in 1992, that's what we did. And it does not really resemble right now what it did in 1992. It has evolved greatly. But I realized that in the, in the moment in my life when my dad did not get me at all, he was different than I was. He looked at life differently. He looked at the world differently. <coughs> Excuse me. He was not a cowboy guy. He was a city kid, highly educated. Um, and here I am, this rough old cowboy kid that just wanted to be outside, you know, all the time. But I realized as he got older and as I've gotten older that all of he and I not seeing eye to eye on a lot of that, that's why God put Clyde Hale in my life. Because Clyde Hale was not only a cowboy, not only a rancher, not only the guy that could teach me all of what I needed to know about cowboy life, he was a godly man. And so at the same time, he kept me from getting off in that wild side of cowboying because yeah. I know, I know me, and I know that had I still been bent to be a cowboy, mm -hmm. I may have rebelled against the, the, the kid my parents would have wanted me to be so bad that I'd have been off out there in the wild side of being a cowboy. Yeah. Had I not been directed in the right way by a guy that was a sure enough cowboy and a rancher that was everything I loved, but was also a godly man and yeah. a good Christian man. So God put him in my place. And he also gave my dad the grace to let somebody else be my hero. Yeah. Wow. That's tough for dads to do. Yeah. To let somebody other than them be their son's hero. And, and so that that put me in the right place at the right time. And wow. so all of that evolved into where we are today. And so for the last almost 30 years, uh, we've been singing and preaching and working on ranches and working with events like ranch rodeos and cowboy poetry gatherings and things like that, doing ministry geared towards ranching and rural communities and cowboys. There's part of your story there that I had not heard that, you know, it was during that. There was a resurgence of interest mm -hmm. in Western, sort of Western mm -hmm. stuff in the late 80s. Like baby boomers mm -hmm. just kind of had this yearn. Because when I was born in 1959, there were, I, this unbelievable to me, but there were 39 Western television series on that on season, the TV. On the TV. Yeah. That's in, you know, and today there's not a single one. And TV's been day. going downhill ever since. <laughs> yeah, they have. Uh, and so it's amazing that God, you know, knew who you were. You stepped in. It was that, that, that the Cowboy Poetry gather, Gathering that you stepped in. And yeah, where you started and where you are now, it's just phenomenal. How do you, uh, how, how do Cowboy Principles and biblical principles align as far as what we know about the traditional cowboy, and then where do they differ? I think that where they align is that cowboys are extremely loyal. And, and you know, cowboy is a complicated term. Uh, Buck Ramsey was a, an old guy that was, uh, he rode the rough string for a couple of ranches in Texas when he was a young man, 
rough strings the horses nobody wants. They bite and paw and kick and fight and Gosh, they're really, a rough string right now. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they're the horses nobody wants. And so they'd put them in one string on a ranch, and only the toughest, sure enough, bronc riding cowboy that could handle them took the rough string. And he took the rough string as a young man for a long time. He got one rolled over on his back, broke his back, and he was in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Um, he's one of the first fellas I met at those cowboy poetry gatherings, and he was such a, an encyclopedia of Western music and Western poetry, a great writer, but also a great reciter of classic old cowboy poetry and music. Um, he said one time, you're not a cowboy till, till somebody calls you one. But I, I have expanded that because I was in a, in a, a, a uh, airport in Detroit one time and, and a little African-American kid, about four, <laughs> told his mama I was a cowboy and wanted a picture with me. Well. To him, I was a cowboy because I had a hat and boots. But I really think almost anybody that walked through that airport with a hat and boots, that little boy would have said, there's a cowboy, because he'd seen those TV shows, you know. He knew that the, that the guy with a hat and boots was a cowboy. I will expand it to say it depends on who's doing the calling. Yeah. Well, if somebody's somebody calling today. you a cowboy that really knows what a cowboy is, those little boys today, yeah, they, the said, they thought I was yeah. a cowboy because I had that hat on. Yeah. Um, I was at a, a gathering a few years ago, and this is one of the moments in my life that I cherish above everything. I was standing with two two guys that are sure enough, they are sure enough cowboys. I mean, they're old-time Marlboro Man cowboys, the real deal. And one of them wasn't so sure about me. He didn't know much about me, and he, wasn't, he thought I was just that preacher guy playing cowboy. And he said something about people being counterfeit. And old Ray Fitzgerald, you may know who I'm talking about, tall, skinny yeah, guy from yeah, sure. Van Horn, Texas. Mm -hmm. He put his arm around me and leaned over to the other guy. He said, well, here's one that ain't. He said, this is a young man that wants to do it right. And I, th I took that as a great compliment. And I figured at that point, maybe I really am the real deal. Maybe I really am a cowboy because that guy, he's the real deal and he said I was. So there's that there's that aspect of cowboys there's there's a loyalty but things have changed and you know we live in a weird world now mm -hmm. things are just weird all over the place um, cowboys have their own little quirky strangeness now too in a lot of circles um, there may not be quite that um, mythological western movie style loyalty like there used to be mm -hmm. everywhere but basically the cowboy is loyal, the cowboy is tough, he's pioneering, he's gonna step out on the edge, he's gonna ride for the brand, so to speak. Uh, when he signs on with an outfit, he is going to work for that outfit, he's not gonna do anything to hurt that outfit, he's not gonna go against that outfit. There's that kind of loyalty, and there's honor, is big. Your name is very, very important. I love the line in Lonesome Dove, um, whenever Woodrow Call says, when he gave that horse to that boy, she said, you gave him his, your horse but not your name. And he said, I think a lot more about that horse than I do my name. That always opened up questions for me as to why, because most people, especially cowboys, they're very proud of their name and the name they've made for themselves. Maybe goes beyond their actual surname, but they've made a name for themselves and that's important to them to to be an example, to be someone other people look up to, and to look up to people that are wiser than you. Mm -hmm. See, that was one thing I was always drawn to. I was always drawn to those old men. Um, I knew that they might even be 
people that do things that my parents would tell me, well, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. Maybe they cuss. Maybe they drink. Maybe they smoke. And I shouldn't do those things. But I was able to compartmentalize and, and put that stuff out and then respect them for the cowboy that they were. I looked up to that and revered that and, had, and that they, were, they had wisdom. The Bible talks about us looking up to the elders. Mm -hmm. Yes. Look up to the wise. Uh, a, a wise man seeks instruction. A foolish man, this is my paraphrase, but goes off half-cocked and does his own thing. Yeah. The Bible talks about that over and over and over again, almost those same words through the Proverbs and other parts of the Bible, to look up to the wise, to be loyal. And, and most cowboys, once you're their friend, you are their friend. Yes. And they will stick with you through thick and thin. I've had guys I knew that were pretty rough, pretty hard, lost as a goose maybe, you know, probably don't know, didn't know the Lord. And people would say, you're a friend of that guy? But most of those cases was because they knew I loved them, they knew I cared for them. And even though they may not agree with me about the Lord, and they may never come to the Lord, I guarantee you, if I got in trouble, they'd come with guns a-blazing. Yeah. Because of their loyalty, because of their honor, because of their friendship. Those are those are biblical principles. Yeah. Those are those are scriptural biblical principles. Now the difference is cowboys are drawn to nature. Most cowboys believe in God. Mm -hmm. I mean, they believe God exists. They don't believe all this just happened by evolution. They don't believe that bunch of hooey. They're not they're not that gullible. I mean, they'll they'll flat tell you, I'm not gullible enough to believe evolution. You know, look at it. It doesn't work that way. And so they're, they're really involved in that from that aspect. But there is something about making that actual commitment of the heart, the confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. They've been convinced over time that there's, that there's weakness there. Mm -hmm. They're a pull yourself up yourself up by your bootstraps type people yeah. not surrender depend on someone else and so teaching a cowboy or showing a cowboy to surrender that's tough yeah. that that's the line that a lot of those guys won't cross yeah. or if they do it's going to be very subtle it's going to be very uh, little baby steps little baby steps I know a guy that's a dear friend of mine, and, and uh, he honestly believed that you couldn't be a cowboy and a Christian. He thought you had to choose. And that sounds silly to a lot of people. Every time I say that, I almost snicker, like most people do, because that sounds almost naive, But and it was maybe naive, but he honestly believed you couldn't. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that. Even if they wouldn't articulate that, I think they think that. You can't be both. I love the line in Nail 32, the movie I was in a few years ago, he told this rancher he got saved, and... The ladies at the church told him he couldn't be a cowboy and a Christian, so he quit being a cowboy because he wanted to be a Christian. Yeah. And he was meeting, talking to this rancher, and the rancher said, oh, I heard you quit being a cowboy. you going down there to that church. And he said, yeah. And he said, they told me I couldn't be a cowboy and a Christian. And the rancher said, they told me the same thing. I picked a cowboy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and most of these guys, if, if you give them that choice, yeah. they're going to pick cowboy because yeah. that's who they are. That's not just what they do. It's not, a, it's not the verb of the actions. They, it's who they are. It's their makeup. And what's hard to tell them, but what has to be conveyed to them 
is that that's not a choice you have to make. God didn't ask you to make that choice. God's Word says He gives us the desires of our heart mm-hmm. as long as we are doing the will of God. So, you know, first, the kingdom of God. And he, all of these things will be added, added unto you. See, I didn't have to give up being a cowboy. Yeah. I thought I did. I thought I did. I thought I couldn't do it. I prayed. I said, God, if I'm supposed to be in the ministry and I'm not supposed to be a cowboy, take this desire to be a cowboy out of my heart. And He never did. He, he got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And so um, I think that, that that's... There's a there's a likeness in the the uh, existential, for lack of a better term, aspects mm-hmm. of being a cowboy: honor, mm-hmm. um, valor, um, bravery, loyalty, friendship, all of those things, respect for God and nature. But I think the differences are um, the principles of Christianity is outright surrender. Mm-hmm. You got to completely come to the end of self. And the end of self comes at the foot of the cross, yeah. always. And it is a hard step to make that last step from a couple of feet away to at the foot of the cross. Yeah. It really is. That's a difficult step to yeah, make. Yeah. And emotionally, most cowboys are not willing to make that step because it is too emotional. It is too uh, involved uh, in... They're afraid, I think, that they're going to have to give up too much of themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and so part of my job is helping them to understand they don't have to give up that part of themselves because that part of themselves is the themselves that God made them to be. Yeah. I, I heard Jim Dennison say this last week. Uh, God always gives the best to those who leave the choice with Him. Oh, man. Yeah. And I, I thought that's... Uh, just so solid and you're right you know that choice jesus understands he understood Mm -hmm. that's a hard choice to make because he said count the cost Mm -hmm. exactly Uh, and he laid out the cost what the cost was if anyone if you want to follow me here it is deny yourself Mm -hmm. that's hard Mm -hmm. you know that's not an easy thing take up your cross daily Mm -hmm. that's not that's not easy either and follow me come on and so yeah he, he he's recognizing what he's asking uh, so I get that for anyone, cowboy or mm-hmm. secretary or uh, uh, that's not the technical term now, but anyway. <laughs> but or, or, you know what yeah. I'm saying? It's a, it's a very simple thing, yeah. but that doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it's easy. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm reminded of Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. God told Isaac to go sacrifice his son, Abraham to go sacrifice his son Isaac. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, he didn't make him do it. Yeah. But he saw that Abraham was willing to because he was willing to do anything he had to do to be what God wanted him to be. Yeah. To, to do what God said to do. Not, your, not my will, but your will. Yeah. Jesus said that in the garden. Yeah. Um, I, I have heard preachers in recent years go on a tangent. There's a bunch of them that I have heard. I heard a deal that I saw that were one right after another was saying the same thing that to say not my will but your will is a cop out and I'm like uh, wow no it's not a cop out because we better be doing God's will yeah, not my yeah, will yeah. listen if it was left up to Jeff Gore I wouldn't be sitting here right now doing this podcast yeah. you probably would have never met me because I'd be off in Timbuktu horseback somewhere and I would have never gone to college I would have never gone to seminary I would have never surrendered to the ministry yeah. and you and I would have never met yeah. the will of Jeff Gore right and I'd have been a cowboy and I'd have probably been fine. Yeah. 
but within the will of God, I got so much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got so much more. I got all the cowboy that I can stand, but I got a ministry. I got friends. I've got this opportunity to be servant of God. And at the same time, I have a wife and beautiful kids and beautiful grandkids. Who knows if I'd have ever had any of that, yeah. you know? Meeting my wife was partly because of ministry, the ministry mindset and life that I was leading, mm -hmm. you know? Wasn't because I was out there in the cowboy world and stumbled across her, yeah. you know? It was because of the world that I was in at the time that was bridging between cowboy ministry, cowboy and ministry, cowboy and ministry, and next thing you know, it's all the same thing. Yeah. And God did that. God puts all that together. Again, Romans 8, 28. God works everything together for good for them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Yeah. In Ephesians, I keep coming back to this, and, and I've in recent years I've really come back to this. I've always said that you're not saved because you behave yourself. You behave yourself because you're saved. Yeah. And the reason we act the way we do is because we're saved. And God has called us to a greater purpose and a greater way of living that's the new person, not the old person. And in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, you know, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is not of works. It's a gift of God. Or we'd boast about it, right. you know. The faith even is given to us by God because we couldn't muster it up. Mm -hmm. And then it later says about all of this is so that we can then do the good works that He prepared for us before time to do. He didn't make us do good works to earn the salvation. He gave us the opportunity to salvation so that we could do the good works He planned for us to do. Yeah. It, it's, it's backwards from that. Yeah. And again, it's not my will, your will. Yeah. Yeah. It's what you want, God. And I don't want to miss a one. I don't He's either. He's got them in advance for me. I don't want to miss I don't a either. one. I, I keep telling God I want all you got. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'm going to ask one more question, and we kind of find a place to land the plane because even though it's early here in Alabama, it's like they already got the restaurant cleaned up. I think they're closing on us. I think they're closing on us. Yeah, man. I'm afraid we'll order another ribeye. We're at Oscars in Dadeville, Alabama, and we just had a ribeye steak. How was yours, by the way? Mine was very good. Very good. Just a good place to eat. I've eaten a lot of fried shrimp here and cheese balls and hush puppies. It's just all good stuff. So I'm glad to glad have my friend sitting across the table from me. So. You know, you talked about, you know, I want all I got, all you got, God, you know, all you have for me. What, just, just if you can think about it. I know this is going to be hard just to single it to one, but it may be a favorite, favorite cowboying moment that you would not have had had God not called you and you not surrendered to the life he gave you. A favorite cowboying moment or a favorite cowboy ministry moment. It's both the same. It's all the same moment. Okay. My favorite cowboy moment, I was out at the wagon for, for fear of embarrassing any of the guys that were there. I'm not going to say where. I'm not going to say exactly the names or anything, but I was at the wagon. Cowboys on ranches, they take out not so much anymore. It's kind of winding down to where it's not hardly ever done anymore. But when I was oh, 10 or 15 years ago, back to about 25 years ago, during that era, um, I could go spend some time on ranches and they would still take out the chuck wagon and the crew of cowboys in teepees and bedrolls outside in the spring to gather up the cattle and brand and doctor the calves. And then up in the fall, they'd take the wagon out again and they'd gather all those same cows back and wean the calves off their mothers. 
and then they would ship those calves to feedlot or whatever, uh, or sell them or whatever. And that's the two big works on a ranch. And I was blessed on several ranches to get to spend time at the wagon, which is like a dream when you're a little kid that wants to be a cowboy, and then you get to fulfill it. And you catch your horses before daylight. They bring all the remuda in, and they rope those horses out of the remuda, and they give you your mount for the day. And one of the biggest, another big compliment I got was when they actually would give that guy that's the preacher and singer guy that's on the crew at the wagon, they'd actually give me a horse out of the remuda and tell me, now he does buck every once in a while, but they trusted me. They knew I could handle it instead of giving me some horse that would barely get above a, a trot, you know, because he's so wore out and old. But they, they'd actually give me real horses out of that remuda that, that I knew I had to, I had to, you know, take care of myself or I'd get in trouble. But they trusted me with them. So I'm at the wagon late at night. We've gotten done eating supper. It's getting dark. And people are starting to slowly go off to their teepees, and we're still sitting around. And uh, I had a long talk with a young man that had lots of questions. And uh, he brought it up, and he started asking the questions. But over a short period of time there, about an hour, he and I had a long discussion that, turned, that went from uh, the difference in being Catholic and Baptist, different beliefs of the two denominational things, to a deep, deep, deep theological discussion about salvation through Jesus Christ and what it really meant and what it meant to surrender to Jesus Christ. And he had he had some baggage in his background that he was struggling with. And it was really, he was broken. He was beat down. And before it was all over, I figured out, I realized that he and I were having this conversation. But the 15 to 18 cowboys that hadn't already gone to their bed rolls for the night had sort of hovered in around us um, and were listening in. And I had the opportunity to share the gospel just like you and I are talking right now, just shooting the breeze and visiting in a friendly way to every one of the guys at that wagon. And there were some pretty rough, pretty tough characters at that wagon. Great cowboys, amazing cowboys but rough characters. Even though some of them were pretty young, they were already pretty steeped in alcoholism, pretty steeped in rough, rough living. Mm -hmm. And that moment changed everything with the way some of those guys looked at me. That moment. Because we'd been riding out together for days. And then they saw this, and they heard me talking, and they heard me visiting. And it wasn't like I was that cowboy preacher out there to arm's length. Yeah. I, from that day forward, I was one of them, but they still treated me even better than just being one of them because it was like, hopefully, this is the way I perceive it, they saw that I meant what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I wasn't just some preacher up there in the pulpit spouting hellfire and damnation. I was, I was ministering to them, and I meant what I said, and, I, and I, hopefully they saw me living what I was talking about. And that, that's, the, that's the best cowboy moment wow. and the best cowboy ministry moment both at the wow. same time. Wow. One of a whole bunch of them, but there's some good ones. I could keep you here all night, yeah. bore you to tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have it and you won't. I mean, because I'm like, I'll let you. <laughs> yeah, and they're about to, about to shoot us out of here. I'm grateful to you, my friend. You're a good friend. Uh, and I'm 
mean that. You've stood by me in some difficult seasons. I'm grateful for you. Looking forward to what's going to take place here in the next day or two. For those of you listening, we're going to, he doesn't know what we're going to do this yet, but we'll ask him to sing a song. Not right now because he doesn't have his guitar with him. And uh, like I say, I think they want us to go home here. But uh, uh, after the song, or after, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye to y'all. So uh, happy trails to you. Never signed off that way. Thanks again, Jeff, for being at the, Thank you. Being at the table. Now we'll listen to Jeff sing. See you next week. He took blinded eyes and they saw again. He touched withered hands and made them He freed those who had died from bondage And He touched and healed the sin-sick soul He touched the crippled man and He walked again He turned the water in Fragrant wine. He fed the thousands with two fish and five loaves of bread. He cast the demons from a man into the swine. Jesus, the rose of shame. Messiah, He is the Savior, He is our King.